So let's uh, come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, what does it really mean to be a follower of Jesus? On a regular day-to-day -day level, is there a pattern, a model that we can follow? Jesus had many disciples who chose to follow him. And from them, he had chosen 12 to be apostles, to be sent out and to preach the good news and to heal the sick. In the first eight chapters of Mark's gospel, the amazing things that Jesus did raised the question, who is Jesus? And there were various ideas about who Jesus was. John the Baptist uh, pointed to Jesus and said, behold the Lamb of God. The crowds that came, came because Jesus was healing the sick and they loved his message of hope about the kingdom of God. And they said, he's a teacher, a healer from God. The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they could see Jesus had power and they understood his popularity but they saw that as dangerous because they judged him to be a lawmaker and they wanted to kill him. But when Jesus asked the 12, the chosen 12, the question, who do you say that I am? Peter was the spokesman for the group. You're the Christ, he said. You're God's anointed king and savior. The 12 were convinced <clears throat> that Jesus was the Messiah. It was what they had all come to believe. But this was not to be the text for their next preaching missions. Jesus told them, this is a secret. Don't tell anybody else this. If they had preached openly that Jesus was the Messiah, the crowds would have flocked to Jesus, bringing weapons and ready to start an insurrection against Rome. And that was the last thing that Jesus wanted. He now had to prepare his disciples for what was going to happen. They knew that he was the Messiah. <clears throat> now they had to learn what kind of Messiah he was to be. And so Jesus began to teach them. The son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. The Jews anticipated that Messiah would be king, but they hadn't understood that the Messiah would also be the suffering servant that uh, Isaiah has spoken about in the Old Testament. And this section of Mark uh, shows a fundamental break with the Jewish expectations of what Messiah would be like. They expected a military Messiah who would conquer and judge and rule through military force. <clears throat> but it wasn't just the Jews in general that felt that. Peter and the other 11 apostles also were thinking along the same lines. 
how shocked Peter must have been. He'd hoped Jesus, he'd hoped to persuade Jesus out of this path of taking the path of suffering and to go onto the path of kingly glory. That's not the way he says. That's not what Messiah is supposed to do. That's what has got Messiah got to do with defeat. What a shock it must have been for Peter to hear Jesus say, out of my sight, Satan, get behind me. Jesus had been tempted in the same way by Satan when he was in the wilderness, attempted to abandon God's path of service and sacrifice. And now his own disciple was being used to bring pressure to bear on him again to abandon his mission to save his people from their sins. Jesus had come to be an obedient servant and this is the model for us too. Later on in Mark, we get in Mark 10, uh, verse 45, the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served and to give his life as a ransom for many. Up until now, the crowds that had been following Jesus, they were, they were pleased to be associated with him, with a, with a famous, successful teacher and healer, now Jesus calls the crowds to him and he gives them a stark challenge. If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Gosh, that must have gone down like a lead bloom. The crucifixion was what the Romans did to rebels they managed to, to, to take prisoner. Crucifixions were common. People could see them. They knew the horror of it. They knew that a man who took up his cross did not have any more decisions to make. He'd left his own ambitions and his plans behind and he would not be coming back. Hearing this, some of those who had chosen to follow Jesus, they turned round and went back home. The cross was too horrible. This was not what they'd come looking for. But the 12, they continued to follow. This is the first of four times in Mark's gospel where Jesus warns them what awaits him in Jerusalem. But it was so contrary to all that they had learned as faithful Jews who were hoping for the restoration of the kingdom that they couldn't take it in. Was, was it another parable that Jesus uh, was telling them? Was it a puzzle that they had to work out? For us, it's easy to see because the cross has been right at the heart of the Christian church for almost 2,000 years. But they couldn't understand and they wouldn't understand it fully until after the resurrection. It needed Jesus, risen from the dead, to appear to them. And during those 40 days when Jesus stayed, appeared to them, uh, coming and going, uh, the risen Lord Jesus met them and opened their minds so that they could make sense of what had happened, to see how it all fitted together. What did Jesus mean by saying, take up your cross and follow me? 
Jesus gave them a clue to its meaning. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. It sounds, that does sound like a riddle, doesn't it? What does it mean for people like us in the 21st century? If we want to hang on to our lives, if we want to stay in control of our own lives, if we insist on making our own choices and to follow our own selfish way, we will, in the end, lose everything. We're not able to keep our life ourselves. But if we entrust our, our lives to God's safekeeping, if we walk in his way, live to please him, put him at the center of our lives, then this is what dying to ourselves means. This is what taking up our cross and following our Lord Jesus means. Jesus says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world? And that was what Satan promised him uh, in the wilderness. Bow down to me and, you will, uh, and I'll make you king of the whole world. But Jesus says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? I was deeply impressed by a story I read when I was a young Christian. Uh, there were, in the 1950s, there were five young missionaries and they were going on a dangerous mission to contact a tribal Indians called the Alka Indians in the country of Ecuador, in the jungles of Ecuador. They knew it was dangerous, but after sustained prayer and having made the best preparations they could, the five young men set out in a light aircraft. They landed on a sandbank in the middle of a river and they did make, make contact with the Alka Indians. But within a few days, they had been killed by the Indians and eaten. They were cannibals. And uh, th those men, those five young men, were conscious of the risk they were taking. And to some uh, criticized it as a foolish thing to do. But they had understood the essence of being a disciple of Jesus. They had hoped to live and to work for God. But their great adventure for God led to their deaths. To many, it seemed such a waste of those young lives. One of them in his diary before he set off had written, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He'd understood this about giving himself and, uh, and Jesus keeping, uh, keeping our lives. In many places, even today, where their church is persecuted around the world, they have proof that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the spread of the church. And the story of the death of those five young men inspired many others to become missionaries and to work for God in different parts of the world. I'm one of them, went off, uh, it wasn't the only influence on my life, but 
It certainly uh, stirred me. And uh, Christians still are at work around the world serving the world's poorest people. In many, in many countries, Christians are persecuted. Uh, and we see them holding on to the faith and witnessing to the truth of the gospel. Yanni and I are, are supporters of Tear Fund, which is at work in 49 countries. And their strapline uh, to their title is they work where the need is greatest, following Jesus where the need is greatest. And they work by strengthening and helping local churches to help their communities break free from poverty. And whether you're a supporter like we are, or tier fund staff, or local partners on the front line, we're united in compassion following Jesus where the need is greatest. So this is just an illustration. The essence of taking up our cross is not necessarily suffering, but it's committing ourselves to serving Christ and, and our neighbour. Allowing God's love to flow through us, not just in the dramatic situations like uh, meeting cannibals in the forest, in the jungle, but wherever we find ourselves, loving the Lord our God with all our hearts and loving our neighbour as ourselves. We have good examples of Christian disciples who gave their lives in service to Christ here in TCE, in our own church, in our own um, the church wardens, for example, and the council members. They take on a heavy responsibility for the life of the church. The cell group leaders invest time and love in the care of their cell group. The children's work leaders show their love for the Lord our God in the way that they care for our young church. The beamers and the coffee makers, they're out of sight, uh, but they, they are there caring for us, making sure that we have the opportunity to work together in this uh, drastic situation of COVID epidemic. Those who care for the church building, the welcomers, and all who serve are doing Christ's work. All of us who demonstrate a Christian character in the workplace, in the place that we work, in the neighborhood, in the school, we're allowing Christ's love to flow through us. Husbands who care for their wives, wives who care for their husbands, are allowing Christ's love to flow through them. Parents learn this. Self-giving love. They learn their self-giving love when they readily become carers, loving and serving the little people that God entrusts to their care. Those who put Jesus and the gospel first have a life that is safe, hidden with God. Those whose lives are centered on their own ambitions and materialism lose it all. Because in the end, all of us die. If we give up our self-centered life of rebellion against God, we will gain the life of the kingdom of God 
and the life of the age to come. The disciples didn't understand it all at the time, but they kept following. Why did they do that? They kept following because they trusted the man, even though they didn't understand. They trusted Jesus. And often in our lives, we will not understand. We will not understand the path that we're taking or, or the, uh, that we're being led down or, or the experiences that come to us. But let's keep on learning to trust him and to live our lives in obedience to our Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord of the harvest, by your spirit, may we sow thoughtfulness so that the harvest may be love. May we sow forgiveness so that the harvest may be peace. May we sow understanding so that the harvest may be patience. May we sow persistence for a harvest of faithfulness. And may we sow discipline so that we may reap self-control. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.